you're listening to the Deeper Christian Bible Study Series in the Book of Ephesians. Thank you for joining me, Nathan Johnson, on an in-depth, verse-by-verse study of this incredible book by Paul. Now, let's dive into the lesson for today. Well, we've been walking through the uh, blessings section that Paul has from uh, beginning in verse 3 down to verse 14, and uh, we're kind of moving into a new little section. Uh, so the last few weeks, we've been talking about the grand mystery, and if you remember the whole mystery that, that Paul has been articulating about, this, this idea that he, he has given us the wisdom and the insight to grasp and understand this grand mystery. And what is the mystery? Well, simply, it's Jesus. And obviously, there's layers to that reality. But the mystery itself is Jesus. Now, we're moving into verse 11 and 12 this morning. And uh, so if you have your Bibles, I just want to read uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11 and 12. Paul writes this. He says, In him, speaking of Jesus, also we have received an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, should live for the praise of of his glory. Uh, it's important to realize, and I've mentioned this several times, but as you're walking through this passage, uh, three times, it kind of divides the sections up, but three times Paul talks about the whole purpose of the blessings. And the purpose of the blessings, again, goes back to this idea that we are to live for the praise of his glory. That why is God blessing us? Oh, it's so that we might be to the praise of his glory. Why, why is it that God is moving upon our life? Oh, it's so that we might be to the praise of of his glory. And again, it even goes back to that grand verse in Romans that we keep quoting from Romans eleven thirty six, which is that all things are from him and through him and to him for his praise, renown, glory, honor. And what an opportunity we have as believers to live, to live that kind of a life. So again, we have to keep this in context that what Paul is doing here, specifically in our verses, is all of this is being shaped, all of this is being given so that our lives might be unto his praise. So this isn't a selfishness kind of a thing, like, woo, I get a blessing, and, uh, or, hey, I get to use this for myself. It's none of that kind of stuff. The whole blessings, the whole essence of the blessing is so that you are blessed so that that might be poured out. Uh, you are blessed so that might turn back forth as praise unto him. You are blessed so that you don't keep it for yourself so that it's being dumped upon the world around you. It's that kind of an idea. Now, what I want to do <clears throat> is we're going to look at the very first part of verse 11, Sorry, we're not going to get that far today. And then next week, we're going to kind of finish verse 11 and 12. But in the very beginning of verse 11, conceptually, we'll finish verse 11 and 12. But the very beginning of verse 11, again, it says, In him we have received an inheritance. Isn't that an encouraging thought? You have an inheritance. doesn't matter how wealthy your parents are. You are guaranteed an inheritance in Jesus Christ. Now, I should probably clarify, we're not talking money. <laughs> Sorry. This is not health, wealth, and prosperity. This isn't a, you know, name it and <clears throat> claim it, nab it and grab it kind of stuff, right? But we do have an inheritance. Now, as we walk through these passages, and this will become more clear as we even move forward here uh, in future verses, but Paul begins to use this idea of inheritance several times in chapter 1. Uh, for example, if you look over at verse 14, he uses this language, and he says that the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. So again, he's using this inheritance language. And then if you uh, drop down to verse 18, 
Again, he's talking about this idea that we would know the hope of his calling and the riches of the glory of his inheritance among the saints. So again, Paul is using this inheritance language three times in these couple of verses. Uh, but what's interesting is that in verses 14 and 18, that word inheritance, it does have this idea of, uh, it's the idea of the father giving an inheritance to his children. It's property, it's money, that, that's where the Greek word comes from. But the word here in our passage, verse 11, uh, is an intriguing word. It only shows up one time in all the New Testament, and it doesn't have to do with money and possessions. Uh, the idea here in verse 11 is that of casting lots. Isn't that interesting? And again, this is the only time it's used in the New Testament. <clears throat> and I'm not going to pronounce the Greek word because it's quite a massive word. Uh, but it comes from this idea of casting lots or, or uh, has this idea of being chosen, which was the whole casting lots idea, uh, which makes sense because it's all predestined according to the will of God stuff, uh, which is in our verse. Now, we're going to look at that stuff, the predestined according to the will of God, ne next time. But what I want to do is I want to look at this idea of inheritance. Again, it comes from this word that has this idea of casting lots. And uh, again, we don't know a lot about the casting lot stuff, except that it was probably like uh, drying straws, right? Uh, you get together with a group of people, someone has to do something, and no one wants to do it, so you're like, all right, let's, let's draw straws. So you, you take sticks or straws, you break one of them in half, someone holds them so they all look even, and you start drawing the straws, drawing the sticks, and whoever gets the short end of the stick has to pay for dinner or whatever, right? Or we could institute that, that sounds good, like a good idea. Uh, <laughs> Or, you know, you, you roll dice, right, to see who, who gets it. The idea back in the Old Testament with casting lots really is this idea that you would have these little stones, and typically you'd write a name on the stone, you put all the stones in a jar, and you'd shake the jar, and whichever one flew out, that was the one that was predestined, chosen by God. And again, we don't know a lot about how they actually did it, but that was kind of the idea. Now, the root word for our word casting lots, or our word chosen, or our word inheritance, <clears throat> Though our word only shows up one time in the New Testament, that root word shows up several times. And one of them is in Matthew 27, 35. And, and you know the scene, Jesus on the cross, and here are these Roman guards down below, and what are they doing? Uh, they're rolling dice, they're casting lots for the clothing of Jesus. Right? That's the root word. So uh, if you take that idea then, and you trace it all through the Old Testament, you start to notice that there's this tone, uh, there's this kind of this flow, if you will, with this idea of ch chosen or casting lots. In fact, as you walk through the Old Testament, let me just give you a few of the ways that casting lots were used. Uh, one way it was used uh, was for the ministry of the high priest. And if you want some verses, I'll, I'll just give you the verses. You can look, look them up later. But Exodus 28:30 and Leviticus 16, verses 6 or 10. So lots were used in the sense of the ministry of the high priest and what the, what the high priest was going to do, they would cast lots to determine aspects of, of the ministry of the high priest. Uh, one of them was, or another way it's used, was to select individuals. For example, Joshua chapter 7, verses 14 through 18. First uh, Samuel chapter 14, verses 41 and 42. Jonah 1, 7. Uh, right? So, so here's Jonah on the ship. There's this big storm. They're realizing this isn't normal. <laughs> so we got to figure out what's going on. One of us probably has caused this problem, and the gods are angry with us. And so all these pagans get together on the ship. They start casting lots on the ship. The, the, the rock flies out, and it says Jonah. 
right? And they go up to Jonah and like, what did you do? And Jonah says, well, you know, like the God of gods, the, the one who is actually God? Yeah, I'm running from him. And they're like, that's not smart, <laughs> right? And they're like, what should we do? And he's like, throw me overboard, <laughs> which I think is hilarious. <laughs> anyway, uh, but so casting lots was used to cho- choose individuals. Uh, it was also used to assign priestly duties. For example, First Chronicles 24.5 or Nehemiah 10.34. And by the way, if you want these scripture references, ask me later or I'll put them on the show notes for those listening to the podcast. Uh, but to assign priestly duties. So, hey, there's a whole group of Levites and uh, we need to choose a family group and a person to light the incense today. How are we going to do that? Oh, we cast lots. So there's those kind of things that in the Old Testament, casting lots was used for. Uh, it was also used to settle disputes. For example, Proverbs 18.18. 18. Uh, we know in the New Testament that casting lots was used to determine who was going to replace Judas, the, the office of the apostleship. Right here they are in the upper room, and uh, they're trying to figure out who's going to replace Judas. So they cast lots, they prayed, and they cast lots, and the man was chosen. Right? So, there, so there are these instances throughout Scripture where this idea of casting lots happens. But probably the, probably the most significant one, if I could say it that way, was in the Old Testament with dividing up the land. Uh, here the Israelites, they come into the promised land, and they begin to cast lots for who gets what section of the land. Now again, it was, it was done by you know, the, the size of the tribes and all that kind of stuff, but they would cast the lots to determine, okay, who gets, who gets the northern region? And they cast the lots and whoop, this group did. Who gets the southern region, right? And they would cast the lots to determine who gets what land. Now, if you take all of that and you bring it into our passage, it's interesting that what, what Paul is writing is that you and I have been chosen. A lot has been cast. Or, at least in my translation, we've received an inheritance. That there was something that was going on, that there's this choosing, that there's this receiving in the midst of this. That something was appointed for us. Now, that word inheritance, at least in my translation, <coughs> in the Greek, now settle down, I know you're going to get excited here. In the Greek, that particular word for inheritance or chosen or casting lots is an aorist passive indicative. I know, contain your excitement. That's exciting. Now, if you have no idea what that means, uh, let me give you the quick summary. As an aorist indicative, it can either mean it happened in the past, in other words, this was a past tense kind of a thing, in other words, uh, some time ago, you were chosen, which does make sense because in Ephesians 1.4, even before the foundations of the world, you were chosen in Christ to be holy and blameless before him. So that does logically make sense. However, it is interesting that the aorist, uh, a lot of times, is the non-tense tense. Not nonsense, but non-tense, right? So we have present tense, future tense, past tense, and in the Greek, there's an aorist. And in the aorist, the idea typically is, again, we always translate it past tense, but the idea of the aorist is more that it's, there is no tense. In other words, don't worry about when it's taking place. Focus on the action itself. So were you chosen in the past? Don't, that doesn't matter. Are you chosen at this very moment? Don't, don't worry about that. Am I going to be chosen in the future? Don't. Hey, that's not the focus. Focus on the fact that you're chosen, that you have an inheritance. It's that kind of an idea. Now, some scholars say because it's an heiress indicative, it maybe is more of the past tense. Either way, they're both true. Make sense? 
Some of you look already glossy-eyed, <laughs> glazing over like, woo. Anyway, as an indicative, an indicative in the Greek is a simple statement of fact. So this isn't a for question. This isn't a probability thing like, well, maybe I'll be chosen. Maybe I won't be chosen, right? You, you grab a flower. Maybe she loves me. She loves me not. She loves me. She loves me not. She loves me. She loves me not, right? And you go through and maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But see, that's not here in the passage. In the passage, it's a simple statement of fact, meaning, hey, this is true. Hey, you can take this to a bank. Hey, this is guaranteed kind of stuff that you have been chosen. You've received an inheritance. A lot has been cast. And it's passive, which means you're not the one responsible for the action. You're not the one bringing about the inheritance. You're not the one doing the choosing. You're the one receiving all of this. That, that hey, you have been chosen. That you receive the inheritance. It's that kind of an idea. Uh, Romans 8, verses 16 and 17 says this. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirits that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified with him. Do you realize that the Spirit of God should be testifying, if you're a believer, that, woo, you are a fellow heir. An exciting thought that we are joint heirs with Christ, that we are part of the family of God. It's an amazing reality. So, at this point, I don't know about you, but the question then becomes what's my inheritance? In other words, if I am an heir, I'm a joint heir with Christ, and I have been chosen, whether it was past or doesn't matter, it's just the fact that I'm chosen. And, and hey, if, this is, if, this, if there's an inheritance thing, I want to know what my inheritance is. Now, you have to see this in light of the context. Everything that Paul's been saying in verses 3 through 14 is that you are blessed. Hey, you are blessed. You are blessed. You are blessed. But what does every single blessing find its fulfillment in? Jesus. Which should tell you that the inheritance then is not going to be like, well, just to let you know, you all get, receive a Porsche. Congratulations. Out, out here, we have keys waiting for you. And you, you can pick up your Porsche later this afternoon, okay? <laughs> of course, it's snowing. So you could, like, have a Hummer, right? <laughs> so you can actually drive on the roads or whatever, right? It's not that kind of an inheritance. It's not like, well, just to let you know, if you check your bank account today, you're going to find millions of dollars in your bank account. That would be amazing. <laughs> but sadly, that's not in Scripture, okay? What is our inheritance? It's Jesus. Which... Truth be told, is actually better than a Porsche. Truth be told, that's a lot better than a bank account full of cash. Because the king of the universe is our inheritance. He is what we get. And he is the fullness of life. He is the fullness of truth. He is the fullness of peace. He is the fullness of patience. He is the fullness of joy. And at his right hands are pleasures forevermore. That is phenomenal news when you realize that he has become our inheritance, that we have been chosen in him, that the cast, the lot has been cast, and it is him. It's an amazing thought. Now, and again, this becomes even stronger in verse 14 when we find out that the Holy Spirit was given to us as a down payment of this inheritance, which is what? Himself. Now, you have to notate uh, that when we think inheritance, especially, especially North Americans, when we think inheritance, we think, uh, 
we, we often think of like something we get in the future, right? Somebody dies, oh, they leave me an inheritance, right? That's not, that's not this in the passage. Because it's not sometime in the future. The whole essence is you are getting, getting to experience the inheritance right this very moment. Now, it's not in its totality. We understand that, right? The Holy Spirit's been given to you as a down payment, meaning what? There is more to come, which is an exciting thought. But you get to experience this inheritance, this reality, this very moment. Why? Because you have the life of Jesus. Uh, Titus 3, verses 5 through 7, says, But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward mankind appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Uh, in Ephesians 3, verses 4 through 6, Paul writes, You may understand my knowledge of the mystery of Christ. Oh, there's that mystery thing again. Which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it is now revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, how the Gentiles, whoo, who's a Gentile? You. <laughs> how the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members and partakers of the promise in Christ by the gospel. Do you realize that we have an inheritance? Why? Because we're heirs. And what's our inheritance? Him. It is Jesus. It's a great thought. Now, let me restate this and then I'll bring up this other side con concept. Jesus is our inheritance. We have an inheritance. We have been chosen. Uh, the, the die has been cast. The lot has been thrown. And hey, we have an inheritance. And what is that? Jesus. That we've been chosen in him. Now, it's interesting that some translations, though, translate verse 11 by saying that we are his inheritance, which is fascinating. In other words, and you realize, however you want to interpret verse 11, they're both true. In other words, he is our inheritance. And isn't it interesting that we are his inheritance? That he's actually getting something out of this. What is he getting? Us. Uh, Hebrews 1 verse 2 uh, says this. It says that God has in these last days spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the world. Do you realize that Jesus is an heir? We're joint heirs with Christ, but he is the heir. And he receives all things. That's interesting that in the Jewish culture, and you, and you see this several times throughout Scripture, but when a father was getting close to dying, right, he would leave his inheritance, and, and then he would transfer his monetary wealth when he died. And I, I'm, I'm the oldest. And I always loved the concept in Scripture that the oldest child received 50%, the oldest male, received 50% of the inheritance. Praise the Lord. And there's a few, you know, firstborns in here, and, and we're all rejoicing. Praise the Lord. <laughs> we get 50%. And then all the rest of the children 
took the other 50% and had to divide that 50%. Now, all growing up in church, I was always like, that doesn't seem fair. I mean, I like it because I am the oldest. But it seems like, boy, I mean, if you had 10 kids, I mean, the oldest gets 50% and then you're splitting 50% between nine people? That's not a lot. You know, like that seems cheeky. Do you know why that they did it that way? It's all in this idea of, and it's, it's the Hebrew idea of the insula, but, but here's a father, and a father isn't just taking care of his family. He's taking care of, like, the community in a sense. Because you realize we'd, we'd have grandparents, and we'd have all the siblings, and we'd probably have their wives, and, and they're all building you know, their, their houses onto this compound. That sounds bad maybe in our language, but, <laughs> but you know, this, this little community, this little mini village within the village, right? So... So I live in Corzin, and, uh, and my family lives in Corzin, and I have a house, and as the, as the patriarch, right, my son decides that he's going to get married, and so he builds a, a room on the side of, of my house, right? And then another son builds a room on the side of my house, and, and then and it keeps growing, and that, that would be called an insula. That it was this community. And as, as the patriarch of that insula, it was my responsibility to take care of all the needs. That if there's ever an issue, hey, I had to supply Right? Who's going to be the kinsman redeemer for the insula? Well, I am going to be. Why? Because I'm the patriarch. So you realize I need resource in order to fulfill the duties as the patriarch. So as the patriarch then dies, 50% of, of that wealth would immediately go to the firstborn. Why? Because his job now is to become the patriarch for that insula. And he has to take care of mom and grandma and all the siblings and make sure they're doing okay. And so, though the siblings can go off and do whatever they want, in a sense, right, and they have their little, whoo, we have our little, you know, our little inheritance, the reality is all the weight and the responsibility of that little community rests upon the firstborn. So it was the firstborn who was in charge of the safety. It was the firstborn in charge of the provision. It was the firstborn in charge of the protection. It was the firstborn in charge of the security of the place, which is why they needed greater resource. It's not because they were extra special, though firstborns tend to think we are. <laughs> it's not because we're extra special. It's because there was actually more responsibility upon the firstborn male to take care of the community. Isn't it interesting that he is the firstborn, Jesus? That Jesus, hey, we are joint heirs with Christ. But he has received all things. Why? Because in the Jewish mentality, he is the one who is now going to be responsible for the insula. By the way, we get to be a part of the insula. Remember the promise in the book of John where he says, hey, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. What is he talking about? He's talking about building that room on the side of the father's house that you get to dwell. It was that kind of an idea. And, and here is the father saying, now it's interesting because in, in our case with God, the father doesn't die. And yet he has given the son all things. Why? Well, for protection, for safety, for refuge, for security, for... Isn't it interesting that we get an inheritance? What's our inheritance? Jesus. And Jesus receives an inheritance of all things. Why? Because he's the firstborn among many brethren. Isn't that a beautiful thought? I love that idea. Uh, in the Old Testament, even this idea was hinted at. Uh, in the Old Testament, God was looking at Israel saying, Oh, you 
are my inheritance. That I know I'm your inheritance. I get that. But God was looking at Israel saying, but you're also my inheritance. Look at this. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 20. Um, Moses is speaking to the Israelites, and he says, But the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace from Egypt to be, a, to, be to him a people of inheritance as you are today. Deuteronomy 9.29 again says, Yet they are your people. God, Moses is speaking to God. Yet they are your people, your inheritance, whom you brought out by your mighty power and your outstretched arm. Deuteronomy 32.9, for the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the allotment of his inheritance. So just as God has cast lots and has chosen us in Christ Jesus to be his inheritance, isn't it a beautiful thought that we have actually become his inheritance? That what, is, what does God get out of all of this? Us. Which should make sense. Paul, in, you know, in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, says, What? Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you receive from God, and you are not your own? Why? Because you are now Christ's. Or as Paul says in Galatians 2.20, Hey, the life that I now live I don't live in the flesh. I live by him. That, that I have become his. And he has become mine. Again, it goes back to this idea that I am in Christ and he is in me. And somehow in that overwhelming reality of, of, the, of the covenant, uh, of this new promise that we get to experience in Christ Jesus, that just as I am in him and he is in me, so too he is mine and I am his. And we both have an inheritance, which is each other. And by the way, we get the better deal. <laughs> you know, by far. By far. Uh, one other thought about all this. When you go back into the, in the Old Testament, uh, there's a beautiful picture of this reality in terms of the Levites. Uh, again, here are, the, here are the Israelites that come into the promised land, and they're dividing out the land. And the Levites, the tribe of Levi, was chosen as the priestly, priestly tribe. And isn't it interesting that the priestly tribe was not given an inheritance of land? The Levites had no land. Why? Because they had a better inheritance. What was their inheritance? God himself. And I mentioned this before, but isn't it interesting that when you look at the Levites in the Old Testament, the Levites of the Old is a picture of the Christians in the New we, 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 there's, this, there's this phenomenal parallel that, that here are the Levites and they were given under the dedication, the worship, the adoration of God Almighty. Well, what are you called to that? Uh, they would go down and they would worship down at the temple and they would do all the, all the sacrifices, they would do all the priestly things at the temple. But as we just read, you have now become the temple. And now all those priestly things, all the, the place of prayer and, and adoration has now become you. And if you just start walking through it, it's interesting that the Levites, they were called to a higher standard of holiness. Why? Because they're going to be ministering before the Lord. Well, you are called to be perfect as he is perfect. You are called to be righteous as he is righteous. You are called to be holy as he is holy. Why? Because you're not just ministering before the Lord. You're being indwelt by the Lord. So there's these really neat parallels between the Levites of the old and the believers, the Christians of the new. 
And it, just as the Levites of the old had no inheritance of land, do you realize that as Christians, we don't receive an inheritance of land? Because we're not talking about money, we're not talking about prosperity, that kind of stuff. Well, just as the Levites had an inheritance in God himself, and God was going to be their provision, and God was going to be their protection, and God was going to be their safety, and God was going to be their security, and God was going to be their refuge and strength and rest, so too that is Jesus in our life. Because he has become our inheritance. And if you just need a couple of verses, Numbers 18.20 says that the Lord said to Aaron, You will not receive an inheritance in their land, nor will you have any territory among them. I am your territory and your inheritance among the children of Israel. That's awesome. Joshua 13.33 Yet Moses did not assign land to the tribe of Levi as an inheritance. The Lord God of Israel was their inheritance as he said to them. An awesome thought. So really quickly, three ideas about this inheritance thing. The fact that, hey, you have been chosen, uh, that, a, that a lot has been cast, and that you have received an inheritance, which is Jesus. If that is true, which it is, you realize then, number one, Jesus is to be our focus. In other words, if he's all that we receive, if he is the fullness of this thing, then he better be our, he better be our focus. He better be the consumption of our lives. Uh, it's interesting in, when you turn to Revelation chapters 2 and 3, Jesus is speaking these warnings, these rebukes to the church. And he keeps saying, repent, 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 and and it's interesting, when you, when you look at Revelation 2 and 3, do you realize the essence of the book of Revelation is that the church is to be a place of worship? That the church was a lampstand holding up the lamp, which was Christ. And it's interesting that all the different churches, hey, all their lampstands look different. Hey, their ministries look different. But it was one lamp. And you realize that your life may look different than everybody else around you. That, that's not the issue. The issue is, are you holding up the lamp? Are you focused upon Jesus Christ? Are you declaring his love and his light to the world? So if he's my inheritance, should I just get crazy with the inheritance? Should I just go after my inheritance? And I realize that, yeah, I get, I get the fullness of the inheritance at some point in the future, but I get to experience the inheritance this very moment. So why don't I go after it? Why don't I let him become the big delight and the focus of my life? Secondly, if he's, our, if, he, if he's our inheritance, then I have to remember that he's my provision. Right? So, so just as God became the safety, the security, the protection, the resource, the rest, the refuge, for the Levites, you realize that's what Jesus wants to be in my life. That he wants to be my security. He wants to be my safety. He wants to be my provision. He wants to be my rest. He wants to be my refuge. He wants to be my strength. He wants to be my wisdom. He wants to be my life. And, and this is all over the Psalms, you realize, but I'll give you one. Psalm 5, verse 11. But may all those who seek refuge in you rejoice. May they ever shout for joy because you defend them. May those who love your name be joyful in you. You realize that God says, I want to be your refuge and strength, your high tower. I want to be your provision and your security. I, I want to be all that you need, which I think is why 
Peter in 2 Peter 1.3 says that all things that we need for life and for godliness is found in one place, Jesus. Which is the reality of the inheritance, that he is to be our life. That he's not just a tack on to our life. He's not just an addition. He's not just something that we, you know, we tip our hat to down at the church. It's he has become the essence, the fullness of our life. And therefore, we must give all of our attention unto him. Now, apply this to your life. You realize, for you personally, we must keep in mind that our inheritance is not sometime in the future. It's not going to be, uh, you realize heaven is not going to be um, singing, sitting on clouds, playing harps, or playing eternal shuffleboard, right? I mean, that's not going to be, that's not going to be heaven. I mean, we may do those things, but that's not going to be heaven. What is heaven? Relationship. It's going to be the fullness of fellowship and, and intimacy with the living God himself. And what we get experienced here on earth, as phenomenal as it is, is still only a very, it's a small hint, it's a down payment of the reality of what we get experience in heaven. Uh, we have to remember that this isn't in the future, that we get experience this right, right this very moment. It's interesting, even that language of inheritance, just when we, when we, when we talk about inheritance, there's an emphasis on the special relationship between the benefactor and the recipient. You realize that God and us are to have a special relationship. Why? Because he is the benefactor giving us all things that we need, which is actually is himself. And thereby, we get to experience and grow in this incredible, indescribable relationship and intimacy with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We need to grow in that reality. First, we need to understand it and grip it, but then we need to grow in that. Another thought for your personal life is just this idea that the Hebrew concept of inheritance is rather general in some, in some aspects, and it conveys the idea of to take possession. That when I receive an inheritance, I take possession. Wouldn't it be neat if I took possession of Jesus? The fullness of Jesus? And allowed him to take full possession of me? That I'm not holding anything back? That I'm just saying, Jesus, have at it, you can have everything. And somehow as I pursue him and as he pursues me and as I recognize that I am in him and he is in me and he is my inheritance and I am his inheritance, somehow the fullness of that possession becomes a reality in my life. That there's no area in my life where he doesn't have rule and control. There's no area in my life where he doesn't have full possession. And at the same point, I'm going after the fullness of him. Or perhaps to said simply, is your whole life built upon and around Jesus Christ? For from him and through him and to him are all things. That is to be the reality of our life. Because that is the great mystery, which is our inheritance. Such a cool thought. Well, if you want to study along with us, uh, next week we're going to look at verses 11 and 12 again. And look at this idea of being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his own will. So if you want to study ahead, I encourage you to study that out. And we'll talk about it next week. But uh, let's just pray. How, Lord, we just uh, celebrate the fact that we have an inheritance, that we have been chosen, lots have been cast. And, Lord, the reality is 
that is all you. And that's not something that I have to go and try to possess. It's something I just need to allow to possess me. That I don't have to go after an inheritance. I've received an inheritance. So Lord, what would it look like to embrace the reality of that inheritance? What would it look like to run after you and give my whole life unto that one inheritance? Because as crazy as it sounds, if I spend my whole life seeking, pursuing, diligently going after you, I'll never reach the end of it. Because even at the end of my life, it's still only a down payment of the fullness of what I get experienced in the eternities. But Lord, let me not waste my time on earth being satisfied with all the junk when I have the fullness of eternal inheritance awaiting me. Lord, could I give myself unto you afresh? Could I just see that, that you are my inheritance and I need to be going after that inheritance? I want to experience that inheritance to the fullest possible degree this side of heaven. Lord, that somehow I want, to, I want to know to the fullest what it means to be in you and you to be in me. Lord, what would it look like if I took possession of you? I know I can't possess you, but could, could, I, just, could I just have more of you? And in so doing, Lord, take all of me. And would you take full possession of me because I am your inheritance. And why you would want these little earthen vessels called humans, still mind-boggling, but thank you. They've not just thrown us out, but you have desired us and gone after us and purchased us and have done all that is needed so that we can actually have intimacy and fellowship and relationship with you. Lord, would you show us somehow, give us divine insight of what it means for you to be our inheritance and for us to be your inheritance. What it means to grab a hold of you and pursue you and what it means for you to take the, take the fullness of our life and to be the Lord over it. And Lord, as my inheritance, would you be my safety and my security and my provision? Would you be my rest and my refuge? And as Peter declares, would you, because you are, be all that I need for life and for godliness? And may I live within that reality. Lord, we love you. We just give you the praise and the glory. In your precious, powerful name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this study from the book of Ephesians with Nathan Johnson. If you would like additional resources to help you build your life around Jesus, I encourage you to check out my website at deeperchristian.com. This podcast is the audio version taken from my video series in Ephesians. And if you'd like to view the video version of this study, you can do so by going to deeperchristian.com forward slash Ephesians. No, I am cheering you on as you build your life around and upon Jesus Christ. See you next time.